as we continue in our series called Stretch Marks, part five today. I want to talk to you on, on, a, on a topic I've never spoken even close to this topic before, so I'm really excited for it. Uh, we're going to talk about staging your celebration. we got a little buzz up here. If you can see if you can maybe eliminate that, that'd be awesome. Staging your celebration. This is a, a very important life skill to begin to learn to develop, to stage your celebration. told you already to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you're not there yet, uh, go ahead and turn there now. But Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to park for most of the day today. Nehemiah 8 verse 10 is going to be our key verse, and it's a, it's a verse that I've just recently discovered, and I love it, and I think some of you are going to fall in love with this verse this morning yourselves. Nehemiah 8 10 says this, uh, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want to talk to you about staging your celebration. My wife, Melody, is sitting on the front row, and, and she's taught me so many things in so many areas of life. But one thing that she's taught, probably greater than anything, is my wife knows how to celebrate. My wife knows how to throw a party. She knows how to make a huge deal about your birthday. Uh, man, if, if it is your day, she is going to honor you in crazy ways. She's done uh, Troy Ivia at my birthday party. She's put together Troy Trivia. Uh, she did a, a haul of Troy one year with pictures from all different faces of my life for people uh, to look at. Uh, she just goes all out. And I used to think that I was good at celebrating. Like, I used to think, you know, I'm a nice guy. Like, I remember people's birthdays. I got a pretty good memory. I can, I can remember it's your birthday and tell you happy birthday. And I used to think I had something. But Melody's like that person. Like, you run a mile, and you go tell somebody, like, man, I, I ran a mile. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And then they tell you about the last 10 marathons they ran, right? And you don't feel good about yourself anymore. That's how she is when it comes to celebrating. Like, you feel, hey, I, I pick out good. I'm good at picking out cards. Like, my cards are pretty funny. Like, I'm good at remembering. Like, you know. And I'm nothing when it comes to celebrating like my wife is. She's so good at this. I fear for Judah's future wife. There's no way she's going to compete. This boy is going to be raised with the greatest birthday parties ever. I know it. And his wife is never going to measure up. She's going to feel worthless and useless. And it's just, gonna, it's just terrible. Uh, but, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but only a little bit. Because my, my wife is so good at celebrating. Just yesterday... We did a celebration. Uh, we have two elders currently at City Church, uh, Kenneth and, and his wife Naomi, uh, and Tim and Kim Steed. And uh, we had them over, and this is my wife's whole vision and her whole, whole idea. Like, if it was me, and I told them this yesterday, I said, if it was me, you'd get a gift card and a book. Thanks for being an elder. Like, that's just it's what I know to do, right? Like, we didn't celebrate big. We didn't throw bashes. So my wife, she puts together this whole brunch menu. She's got all these ideas. She's got, like, a Pinterest board where she's loading all these ideas up and, and banking stuff um, and just thinks through all, like, the most minute details of presentation, of how it's going to look. She puts together named nameplates for everybody. Like, she does all this stuff. Why? Because she thinks that they're worthy of being celebrated. She thinks our elders are worthy of being honored. And so we honored our elders yesterday. We celebrated our elders yesterday. And, and it was just because my wife is incredible at this. Because she has a gift for this. This is one of the things, like, we're talking about calling tonight. I believe this is one of the things that is part of my wife's calling. Like, she is gifted, uniquely put together to celebrate things. Um, and, and it's amazing when you get to see her put that gift at work. And so I bring all this up 
This idea of celebrating, not just because I want to brag on my wife and score points. Hopefully that I did a little bit of that. But, but mostly bring this up because sometimes there's this tension, and, and maybe some of you will identify with me on this. There's this tension uh, between correction and celebration. If you're leading something, if you're coaching someone, if you're managing someone, if you're parenting someone, there's this tension between correction and celebration because you're afraid if I slow down to celebrate, somebody else is going to get ahead of me. If if I take too much time to celebrate, I'm not going to get something done. I'm not going to accomplish something. I'm going to be weakened. I'm going to be distracted. And yet we have to strike a balance when it comes to correction and celebration because if all you're doing is stretching, if you're constantly stretching, and our series is called Stretch Marks, it's all about how if God's kingdom is going to grow, God's people have to stretch it. But if all we're doing is stretching and we're never celebrating, eventually we're going to snap. Eventually we're going to be pulled too far. There's always got to be a time where in the middle of the stretch where we take a second and say, you know what, we're going to celebrate. As a parent, if you're always correcting and never celebrating your child, eventually you're going to lose credibility. And you can justify it, and you can have the greatest motivations. I'm correcting them because I want to raise them well. I want them to know God well. I want them to understand there's consequences for sin. And you can have the best motivation. But if all you're doing is correcting your kid and never celebrating your kid, they're going to turn a deaf ear to you. They're going to turn rebellious. I'm glad that we serve a God who doesn't just correct us, but he celebrates us. We serve a God who doesn't just correct us, he affirms us. He speaks life to us in the middle of our correction. As as a coach, you can be the most hardcore coach, but if all you do is correct, 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 you can get the greatest competency in your players, you can have the greatest team of abilities, but they won't have the confidence to carry out their competence. You've got to stop and encourage them. You've got to stop and build them up. You've got to stop and celebrate their progress, celebrate their growth. And so here in Nehemiah chapter 8, we have a situation. Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, just to give you some backstory. He came to Jerusalem because the city was in ruins. Uh, the, the, these other rival armies, the Assyrians, had come in and they had wiped out Israel, first of all, the northern kingdom. And then the Babylonians came in and they carried off uh, Judah into Exile, And so Jerusalem had been abandoned for 150 years. The walls were ruined. The walls were destroyed. All the neighboring cities and armies had been able to come in and raid and ransack and take anything that they wanted. So Jerusalem was empty for 150 years. And it burned on Nehemiah's spirit. My city, the holy city, the city of my ancestors is sitting there in ruins. We need to do something. So he goes to the king, and he makes a plea. Can we go and rebuild the city? And the king says yes. And so he sends Nehemiah with a delegation, and they come back to Jerusalem, and they begin to build the walls back up. And and I don't have time to give you all the backstory of Nehemiah. Um, If you are leading anything in your life, if you have a vision for anything in your life, a vision for ministry, if you're a small business owner or you want to start your own business, if if you're parenting, if there's anything in your life that that has been destroyed that you want to see rebuilt, Nehemiah is one of the best books you can read. Because you're going to discover some great keys to rebuilding. You're going to discover some great keys to vision, to identifying what is, what is my purpose, what has God put in me. Again, Nehemiah discovered his purpose because there was a void in his heart. His misery dictated his ministry. The things that bother you the most, the things that break your heart the deepest, many times are great indicators of what God put you here to fix. Nehemiah was put here to fix Jerusalem. That was his life calling, his life purpose. And he discovered that because of his misery. So 
he took the city where the walls had been down for 150 years. And he rebuilt the wall in record time. He rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. 52 days he undid 150 years of destruction, of erosion to the wall. It's significant. It's a reason to celebrate. He did something that nobody for a century and a half had even attempted, let alone been able to accomplish. And he did it so quickly, the Bible says that there was no denying that God had helped him. God had blessed it. God had enabled them to do it so quick. Why? So that everybody would see God did this, not just Nehemiah, not just Nehemiah's men, but God did it. And I'd love to talk about that one day, and, and I hope to one day. I want to teach from this book. It's one of, one of the coolest books in Scripture that I didn't grow up. Just It's not super cliche. I didn't grow up reading it all the time. I wasn't taught it all the time. And now as I've got into it, it's just amazing what happens in Nehemiah. But today we can't get very deep into it. What we're going to talk about is the celebration. So they get the walls built back up, 52 days. And at the end of the 52 days, they stage a celebration. It's kind of a strange celebration. It's kind of weird. It's kind of different for us. But this is how they get down in J-Town. Read it with me. We'll start in chapter 7, the last verse of chapter 7, verse 73. You know, not many chapters have a verse 73. You ever need a chapter with 73 verses in it? You can go to Nehemiah chapter 7. Found this yesterday. So pick it up. Chapter 7, verse 73, it says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, at the very end of chapter 7, now flip into chapter 8, all the people assembled as one man in the, town, in the square before the water gate. Now, this was a long time before Nixon, uh, so I don't know why the Bible felt the need to tell us that, but it's before the water gate. Thank you, Leonard. Uh, Leonard made me feel better. Uh, Old enough to remember, right. They told Ezra the scribe. Now, Ezra's the the scribe. He's the priest. They tell Ezra to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So the book of the law, this is also known as the Pentateuch, known as the Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books of the Old Testament. So Nehemiah grabs the book of the law. Why is this significant? Because they had not been reading and studying the book of the law. They had been dispersed. They had been exiled. And so the book of the law not, had not just been lost, like they knew where it was, but it hadn't been opened. And so this amazing thing is about to happen is the book of the law is about to be opened for the first time in many years. Verse 2 says, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And verse 3 is going to tell us how they party in Jerusalem. Verse 3, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. How many of you guys, if I said we're staging a celebration, City Church is going to celebrate what God is doing at City Church, be here at 7 o'clock next Sunday morning, I'm going to read the Bible for five hours. You are here. How many of you, I will be there for that. You're a liar. Uh, You're a liar. You might be here at 7, but by 9 o'clock you'd be like, I really wish I could do it, but I got a small bladder and I just can't make it. I would cry a lot. Uh, I would cry because nobody was here. Um, But... (laughs) Right, like let's just be real. That's not the celebration we're signing up for. I want to be there for five hours to hear somebody read the Bible. Look at how intense their faith was. But they wanted to celebrate. This was how they threw a party. This was their festival. I want to hear what the Bible has to say for five hours. I want a faith like that. I want a relationship with God like that. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They were all moved by what God had done. And they wanted to see what is God going to do next. 
So here's the question this morning. How do you have a contentment in your life without becoming complacent? How can we be content and yet not complacent? Because I never want to get at a place in my walk with God where I'm complacent. I never want to get in a place in, in my profession. I never want to get in a place in my relationships. I never want to get in a place in my marriage where I'm complacent. Because if I get complacent, I'm going to stop improving. And anything that's not growing is dying. Anything that's not getting better is getting worse. So I never want to get complacent. And yet, despite that desire never to be complacent, how can I find contentment? It's a difficult balance to strike. If you've ever dealt with this before, if you've ever thought about this, if you've ever experienced this tension, how can I be content and yet not complacent? This is what we want to discover this morning. This is the reason I think that some of us don't learn to celebrate. Because we're afraid if we celebrate, we're going to get lazy. We're going to get happy with where we're at, and we're not going to continue improving. So we skip celebration straight on to the next best thing. We set goals, and we pick a point of arrival. Once I get to that point, once I get to the finish line, then I can celebrate it. Once that happens, almost, most of us have a that. Your that might be a weight. Your that might be a GPA. Your that might be a salary or a bank account size or a home or, or a position at your work. Your that might be a relationship status. Your that might be children. But we, we put something on the calendar, some goal that we set, and we say, once I get to there, then I can be happy. Once I get to that point, then I can stop and celebrate. And some of us in life right now are so far along in our walk with God. You're at a place that you never thought you'd ever get. God's brought you to a place. He's brought you out of some junk. He's broken some addiction in your life. He's brought some joy into your life. He's given you some things that you never thought you could get to the place that you're at now. And I love that, man. I love what God's doing. And I believe we need to celebrate what God is doing. Man, we keep talking about we're going to get to two services. And, man, when we get to two services, we're going to have opportunity to grow. We're going to reach more people. And we're going to invade the kingdom of darkness. And I believe all those things. But in saying that, I don't ever want to set the idea that there's something wrong with where we're at now. God's doing something now. God's blessing us now. God's growing us now. There's people in this room who, man, you God has done so much in your lives the last few months. And I don't ever want to look so much to the future and look so much to the things that, that God's calling us to do down the road that we miss out on celebrating what he's doing today. we got to rejoice in what he has for us today. And it's that rejoice and that celebration that's going to propel us forward to be able to accomplish what he has for us tomorrow. This very easily could have been how the Israelites responded in Nehemiah 8. They could have settled for complacency. They could have gotten to that place where they weren't, where they were just content with where they're at, but that's not what they did. They did something different. So remember, verse 5 says they listened to the reading of the law for six hours. Uh, verse 3 says that, excuse me. Verse 4 says, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. They built a platform for their celebration. They built a platform for the occasion. So there's two things working in this passage. We have sacrifice and celebration. Sacrifice and celebration, you have to have both. You can't have one without the other. Either one without the other is not sustainable. If all you have is sacrifice and no celebration, they worked hard for 52 days straight, pretty much morning, noon, and night. 52 days with, with enemies trying to invade. They had to station guards with weapons at the, at the edges of the town to protect them so they could get the work done. They sacrificed to build these walls. They laid it on the line. All sacrifice, all sacrifice, all sacrifice. At the end of 52 days. They celebrate. You, you got to have both. 
You can't have one or the other. All sacrifice with no celebration is going to completely exhaust you. It's going to wear you out. But all celebration without sacrifice is going to give you a sense of entitlement. It's going to give you a sense of thinking that life owes you something. It's not celebration, or it's not uh, sustainable either. So you can't just celebrate and not sacrifice. Because while you're dancing in the end zone, they've kicked the ball off and they're going the other way. Right? And, and sometimes, and I think especially with the younger generation, we have a danger of getting to a place where we want all the celebration and none of the sacrifice. We want all the toys that mom and dad have without the years of labor that they put in to get to that place. We want just as nice a house as they had without realizing that they worked for 30 years to get there. We want all the blessings, we want all the stuff that we grew up with without investing, without sacrificing to get to that point. And we miss it if we're not careful if we get to that place. So you can't have all celebration and no sacrifice either. Nehemiah said, man, we've made some sacrifices, but we're going to take a moment of celebration. There's more work yet to be done, but we're going to celebrate where we are right now. And yes, it's an odd celebration to our perspective, one that I admire and respect, but not one that I necessarily would have signed up for. But I respect it so much that they did it. But this is why they celebrated. They built a platform for the occasion. So here's what I want you to see today. You cannot have sacrifice without celebration. You cannot have celebration without sacrifice. But you don't have to wait for a special occasion to celebrate how far God's brought you. You don't have to wait for a special occasion. Why did we celebrate the elders yesterday? Because they're awesome. It wasn't like we had something. We didn't just complete a project. Our elders hadn't just gone in and laid hands on somebody and raised somebody from the dead. And, man, that would be great. That would be awesome. That didn't happen. There wasn't any, like, major life event that went down. It was just, you know what, we need to celebrate our elders. So let's celebrate them. Sometimes you can just pick a date and put it on the calendar and say, we're going to celebrate. We're going to do something. There's nothing special about it. There's no occasion. We're just going to celebrate. Verse 4, beside him on his right stood a whole bunch of names, Mathathiah, Shema, Ananiah, and a bunch of others. Uh, but it goes on, it says, on the first day of the seventh month, they celebrated. The first day of the seventh month. What's unique about the first day of the seventh month? Nothing. Nothing special. If you go back and study uh, the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew people, there was no celebration that day. That day wasn't sacred. That day didn't have a special meaning. There was, there's so many festivals and holidays in, in, in Jewish culture in Israel. Almost every day is special for something. And they picked a day that wasn't special. And they said, you know what, we're going to celebrate that. That's a whole other story. They knew how to celebrate just about every day. They had festivals going on all the time. But they picked a day that had no other significance. Said, you know what, we're going to celebrate the building of the wall right here. It was just the day they picked. And they celebrated. What makes it significant is the fact that although they completed the project of rebuilding the walls, they were just beginning the project of rebuilding the city. The walls have been down for 150 years. What does that mean? It means the education system was destroyed. The financial system was non-existent. The homes had not been rebuilt. The walls to the city were rebuilt, but the homes still needed to be rebuilt. The, the plumbing was jacked up. Like, you can just imagine all the infrastructure, the roads. So imagine what would happen if, if we went back in time 150 years. 150 years ago was what? Like the, middle, like the end of the Civil War. Right? If we went back in time 150 years, and that was the South Haven, that was the Olive Branch, that was the Memphis that we came to, how much work would there be to do? Would we be celebrating? We'd be like, oh, my gosh. 
There is a ton of work to do just, just physically, set aside racially and emotionally and nation and civil war. Let's just look physically at what was going on. It would be so much work to do to catch up from 150 years. They could have very easily just been overwhelmed and said, we're never going to get there. We're going to work our whole life and never get this city to where it needs to be. And yet Nehemiah said, you know what, we're going to take a day off and we're just going to celebrate because there's a whole ton more work to do, but God's done something to get us to this point. And we have got to celebrate what he's done. So here's the heart of the message. I want to help you see that in each of our lives, there's a long way between where we are and where we want to be. I hope there is. I hope you're not at a place where you're like, hey, I'm pretty much who I want to be. Jesus, take me now. I'm good. Like, like I hope there's a desire in you to continue growing, right? Like, there's a desire in you that, hey, God's got more for me. He's got some new skills for me to develop. He's got some new gifts for me to use. He's got a new calling and a new season that he's bringing me into. I hope and pray that there is a, a, a desire in each and every one of us for more of what God has. We just sang a song said, I want more of you, God. If you're happy with where you are, you're not saying, hey, I want more of you, God. If you're just, can, just man, this is good. But man, at the same time, in desiring something better, and desiring more for Jerusalem, Nehemiah said, we can't forget to celebrate where we are. And sometimes I'm always looking to the future, and I'm always looking to the next step, and I forget, hey, let's celebrate. There's a recognition that where I am right now isn't really that bad. It's not that bad. God's doing something. And what's amazing about this is God models this. If you go back to the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, the story of creation, the very first thing that we read in the word of God, God models this. On the first day, God creates light, and he separates light from darkness. And when the day is over, God looks at it, and he says what? Anybody know? He says it's good. He looks down and he says it's good. You go on to day two and God begins to move on in creation. And if I remember the story correctly, he separates the water from the land. And that's the next step. And and he moves forward with creation. But at the end of day two, he looks down and he says, it's good. And at the end of day three, after God has done the work that he's doing on day three, he looks down and he says, it's good. And at the end of day four, God has worked and he's accomplished what he set out to. And he looks down at the end of the day and he says, it's good. The job's not over yet. The project's not complete, but it was a good day. In day five, he does it again. In day six, he does it again, except on day six, it is complete. And so when he looks down at the end of day six, what does he say? He says, it is very good. Why? Because now I'm at the very end. And I think a lot of times we wait till we're to the end of day six before we can take any satisfaction. But God celebrated in a process. God celebrated in stages. God looked down each and every day and said, I'm proud of what I accomplished today. I'm excited for what God done today. There's more work left to do. I'm not where I want to be yet. God's calling me to a greater place. He's taking me from glory to glory. I haven't reached the place that he has for me in so many aspects of my life. But I'm proud of where God has me. I'm excited for what God's doing in my life right now. I'm excited to celebrate who he is and what he's got going on. And I think sometimes, I know I miss that a lot. The funny thing is that we all know this instinctively with kids. You've ever watched a child begin to walk. You've walked this process out. Our son's not quite to that level yet. Uh, He's got a a different type of motion, and I don't know that anybody's ever moved quite like Judah does. Um, He he learned how to sit up, uh, and and now he's got this mobility that I can't even really describe to you, but what he'll do, it's almost like if you ever moved like a refrigerator or a file cabinet and you didn't have a dolly, kind of like how you, you pick it up and you walk it. 
It's kind of what he does. Like he'll tip forward on his hands and move his butt over here and leg back up. And then he'll lean forward on his hands and put his butt down. And he kind of just, he's not really scooting. And he might mix in a little bit of crawling, but he's like, I ain't got time for that crawling stuff. I want to see where I'm going. So he gets back up and he does it. And we celebrate this, right? Like he does like, good job, buddy. You just came across the room. You just got to your pen that you were looking for. Whatever it was you were trying to accomplish, man, good job. We celebrate it. And in a couple months, he's going to stand up. And he's going to take a little step, and he's going to fall flat on his face. And we're going to celebrate it. Good job. You did it. And then he's going to be able to take a couple more steps, and we're going to celebrate it. And then he's going to be able to actually walk, and we're going to celebrate it. And then he's going to be able to run, and we're going to celebrate it. And we celebrate them in stages when they're babies, and yet we forget how to do that when we grow up. We all know this naturally when we watch a child develop. I'm going to celebrate every little moment, but when it's our own life, we forget to celebrate the little thing God's doing in my life today because I look at all the stuff that I haven't quite got where I want to be yet. And if we could take that same mentality that we approach our children with and begin to apply it to our own lives, I think we'd watch in so much more joy and so much more contentment, but not just that, I think we'd accomplish a lot more. Because I think there's a part of it that when you celebrate that kid, it motivates him to get back up and try again. I think he gets it, man. You're affirming what he's doing. You're awesome, Judah. Keep doing it. He wants to make daddy proud. He wants to keep moving forward, and that celebration propels him forward to the next step. So we've got to learn to stage our celebration. We've got to learn to develop that in our own lives. Celebrate it to start. Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise these small beginnings. Another translation says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Maybe today is your small beginning. Maybe you are so far from God right now. You are so far from what God has created you to be. You are so far from what God has called you to. Maybe you're stuck up. You're bound in addiction. You're bound in laziness. You're bound in complacency. Maybe you're at a place that you've got no reason to be proud of at all. I want to say to you from God, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Because God rejoices to see the work begin. If you will just take that one little step forward today, just like a baby, even if you end up falling on your face, even if you end up getting some bloody knees, even if you end up not making it all the way to where God's called you because you're not. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times. You can't fall seven times unless you get back up. But we got to celebrate. Hey, I took a step. And stop despising the day of small beginnings. That's why some of us never get any momentum. Or, we, or we, the reason, other reason we don't get any momentum is we're too good at celebrating. It's like, I just ran, and I burned 200 calories, and now I'm going to go get this shake and drink it in 500 calories, right? And we're going backwards. Like, we're, we're, I'm going to celebrate the fact that I just did this. That's my challenge. In the, man, I go to the gym, and I see how many calories I burn, and then I see how much one food item is, and I'm like, there's a failure. What's the point? This is so difficult, right? Um, you celebrate, you paid off 100 bucks on your credit card, so you go out with the credit card and you run up a $200 bill. Yes, we're paying down the card, and your debt gets bigger, right? Like, that's, that's, that's the flip side. That's the other ditch. There is a ditch of too much celebration. The better celebration is, hey, I burned 300 calories today. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm gonna, let me burn 50 more. You carry forward that momentum, and you turn that into your celebration. That's your way of building it. Man, we paid off 200 bucks this week, this month. What if we can pay 250 next month? What if we can stretch just a little further and get a little closer to the thing that God is calling us to? That's our celebration. We've got to learn to celebrate right, but we need 
to be able to celebrate. How many of you guys were David Letterman fans? Any Letterman fans in the house? He retired. I know that's like an older generation. I grew up on some Letterman. Some of you did. Okay, so Letterman just retired, uh, and he'd done all this. He's been a legend in the comedy business in the late night for, for decades, right? Well, in Rolling Stone magazine, they interviewed him about the celebration of his last show. It was a couple weeks before his last show, and I want you to see the quote that he had. He said, they said, what about the celebration of your last show? He said, I'm dreading it. As Regis used to say, I don't like going down memory lane, and I'm afraid that is what this is all about. After we get through with it, then I'll sit back and see what we've done. But for now, I just want it to be over with. I don't want the fuss. I don't want the celebration. I just want it to be over with. And I wonder how many of us live our lives just like that. Instead of celebrating the moment, instead of enjoying the moment, instead of embracing the season that God has us in, I just want it to be over with. Man, I just want school to be over with. How many students have ever said that? All of you, right? Like all of us have said that. So I just want it to be over with. What if God had a purpose for you in this season you're in now? What if your calling isn't just about what you do when you get out of high school? What if part of your calling is what God wants you to accomplish while you're still there? And instead of looking forward to the day that you can leave all those terrible people behind, what if you began to look at the opportunity you have to make an impact on those people while they're in your life? What if we began to flip our perspective instead of living completely in tomorrow, instead of completely living in when this moment arrives, what if we embraced the opportunity God gave us today? And part of the key to accomplishing that is beginning to celebrate. God himself celebrated in stages. I think there's some power in that. I think there's a principle in that. You can't wait until it's over, until you hit the mark to begin celebrating. If you do, you sabotage your strength by not celebrating. Last summer, we did a, a project here in this building. We had to kind of redesign our building and had to build that wall, that, that Cody on the sound booth, that wall right behind you right now, that wall didn't used to exist. Uh, and there were a couple other things that we did. We resigned Keys to Kid City. We changed up our stage. We did a few things to, to make a better use of our space. And when we did that, the first step, uh, well, actually, the first step was knocking down a wall in Kid City. So Tegan and I, one of our students, we went in there with sledgehammers, and we had the honor of taking out a wall. And you never feel more like a man than when you're slinging a sledgehammer and taking out a wall. It was a good day. Uh, so it, it was nice. But the next step, the next thing that happened is that wall began to go up, the one right behind you. And when that wall went up, the first thing they did is they put these grids on the floor, and then they came in and they put metal studs. And they began running the studs and, and screwing the studs in to the grid. And so if you would have came in after day one, what you would have seen is just a skeleton of a wall. Wasn't anything impressive. Wasn't anything pretty. It looked, it looked empty. It looked like, hey, there's, there's a whole lot of work left to do here. And yet I remember looking at that wall with satisfaction and saying, you know what? We accomplished something today. We took a step. It's not where it needs to be. We can't have service in here tomorrow. There's, there's some things that need to be done before we can meet. But, man, something happened in here. The wall began to go up, and in my spirit, I celebrated. Now, I didn't go throw a party and say, yeah, we got studs up in the wall. I'm not saying like that. But, but I rejoiced at what had been accomplished. And anytime you're building something, I think that's a great principle. Rejoice in those small steps. Nobody came in and was, oh, wow, there's studs in the wall. Oh, man, there's metal there. Awesome. Nobody was like high-fiving. Yes, we've done it. We've accomplished it. It's a whole new building. It's like, okay, well, what's next? Are they putting up insulation? They're putting up sheetrock. And then are we going to paint it? How's it going to go? Everybody wanted to know the next step. But for me, I was just very content that we took a step. 
and we got the studs up. And I wonder how many of you right now in your own life, you got some studs up. And maybe it's not real pretty. Maybe it's not real sexy right now. Maybe it doesn't look exactly the way you want it to look. Maybe it's not exactly the way that, that the finished product is going to be. But you realize there's some work that went into putting those studs in. There's some sacrifice. Somebody spent some money to pay for those studs. And, man, I'm going to celebrate the development that I've had, even though it's not the finished product that I want the world to see. Even though it's not exactly where I want to be, I'm going to celebrate the step that God's taking in my life. Tell somebody, check out my studs. Check out my studs. You got some studs for somebody to check out. There's some progress that God's making in your life. Start celebrating what God's doing in your life in stages. So for me, by the way, occasionally, not often, but occasionally there's been points in my life where I was afraid, you know what? If this happens and nobody celebrates it, if this big moment happens in my life and nobody cares, I'm going to be upset. Like, I'm going to be hurt. I don't know if like, you've ever had one of those moments where something massive happened and that person that you really cared about didn't even call or didn't even send a gift or didn't even recognize you. So a few months ago, you know, I was, I was a youth pastor here for nine and a half years. I've been pastor for three years. So there was a low, uh, an overlap of about three years where I was doing both. And finally, Vince has taken over our youth ministry, and he's doing an awesome job. And I'm so proud of him. But so we're getting ready to, to come to my last night. And I decided, you know what, I'm not going to wait for somebody else to, to make some plans for a party. Like, it's my last night. I've invested nine and a half years into this youth ministry. I'm going to do some stuff. So I began to contact some people. I, I contacted Samantha. I said, Sam, I need you to get in touch with every former 662 student and let them know this is my last night and invite them. Tell them it means so much to me if they would come back, if our alumni would come back and we could celebrate what God's done over the last nine and a half years. Sometimes we get so offended because nobody else takes the initiative to celebrate something. And sometimes you just need to open your mouth. Sometimes the Bible says you have not because you ask not, right? And so I asked. I put it out there. I said, this is important to me. I'm a sentimental man. This matters to me. I've done nine and a half years in this youth ministry. I've invested so much in these students. I've made so many incredible relationships. Man, I want to celebrate this. Will you help me bring everybody in? And Samantha did an incredible job, and she contacted so many people. And uh, my cover photo on Facebook right now is a picture of me with a whole bunch of students who graduated from the 662 that came my last night. And it meant so much to me to be able to celebrate with those alumni that, man, what, look what God has done. Sometimes we just got to open up and, and stage our own celebration. Sometimes we got to take that initiative and make it happen in our own life instead of waiting on somebody else to notice what God's doing in our life. Psalm 118.24, Caleb already shared it with you this morning. But it says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Another translation says, I will rejoice and be glad in it. So what excuse do you need to stage a celebration? Psalm 118.24. Is it the day the Lord has made? Then you can celebrate. Did you get up out of bed this morning? Then you can celebrate. Do you got water to drink? You know how many people on planet Earth don't have clean water right now? You can celebrate. Sometimes we get so caught up in looking at the little things that we don't have right that we miss out on all the big things that God's doing right in our life, all the big blessings that we have. You have an excuse to celebrate. Look at the person next to you say, you have an excuse to celebrate. Any day that the Lord has made is a good day to celebrate. It's a special day because the sun came up. Jeremiah says that God's mercies are new every morning. That's the reason to celebrate. So if the sun came up today, there must be something God wants to do in my life today. There must be something God wants to do in your life today. 
and that's worth celebrating. Now, understand this. It's less about external celebration. I've, I've been using pictures of parties and, and, and these big celebrations that we have. It's really less about external celebration. It's more about internal celebration. It's more about rejoicing in your heart at where you're at and what God's doing in your life. In fact, I, I think we could say this. I am the interior decorator of my own heart. Now, that's a terrible thing if you've seen my interior decorating skills. That's why I got married. Uh, praise God, my house looks so much better now with my wife in it than it did before. Uh, but, but set aside decor, set aside that. I'm the interior decorator of my own heart. What do I mean by that? I set the atmosphere in my heart. Nobody else does. My son doesn't control that. My wife doesn't control that. My boss doesn't control that. My family doesn't control that. The people around me don't control that. Satan doesn't control that. The attacks that he brings into my life don't control that. I'm the interior decorator of my own heart. I set the atmosphere in there. And if I'm going to walk in an atmosphere of celebration, if I'm going to walk in an atmosphere of joy, I'm the one who has to make that decision. If I'm going to stage a celebration. And the same is true for you. Ezra gets up, he reads the book of the law, and then the people start shouting. He reads for five hours and then they celebrate. I don't know if they celebrate because he's done or they celebrate because of what he read. But he, at the end of five, six hours, they begin shouting. And then it takes on a more somber tone. They get on their faces before God. They begin to seek God. Why? Because they realize we hadn't heard this book in a long time. And we hadn't been living this book. And I need to get right with God. I need to repent for some things. So it takes on this somber tone as in the midst of the celebration, they realize, God, thank you for where you've got us. Thank you for building these walls. But now I begin to rebuild the walls in my heart. It's important for Jerusalem to look right, but it's way more important for my heart to be right. And they begin to get right with them. Nehemiah 8, verse 7, it says the Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, and a bunch of other dudes instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Verse 9, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day, everybody say this day, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Listen to this. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They could only see how far they had to go. They could only see the ruins around them, the ruins in their heart. And instead of the celebration that they had been called to, they began to see all the stuff that had to be done. And God speaking through Nehemiah says, stop. This is not a day for mourning. This is a day for rejoicing. There's time tomorrow for us to worry about the work that's left. There's time tomorrow for us to worry about working on, on the other things that God wants to do in our life. But today we're celebrating where God has brought us. Today, we're celebrating what God's doing. Today, we're celebrating the progress that has been made. So we're not going to mourn. We're not going to weep because this day is sacred unto God. Verse 10, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. How much do you love that verse? How many of you are like, that's my new life verse? Go and enjoy good food and sweet drinks. Praise God. I didn't know it was in there, but I'm claiming it, writing it every. I'm getting, four of you are getting tattoos this afternoon. I already know. Don't do it. That was a joke. Um, so, you just discovered something that was in the Bible that you didn't know was there. Here's what I found, though. Celebrating your progress is good. It's really good. It's important. Sacrifice without celebration is unsustainable. Celebration without sacrifice is unsustainable. You've got to have both. You've got to learn to begin to celebrate the progress in your own life. It's good. But even better than celebrating the progress in your life is celebrating what God's doing in somebody else's life. It's encouraging somebody else. Look what it says here in verse 10. 
So cool. So easy to miss. He says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. But it ain't just about you. It ain't just about your celebration. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. The best celebration is the one that's not about me. It's the one where I'm celebrating somebody else. You know the greatest encouragement is when I can celebrate somebody else? What we did for the elders yesterday, I got way more encouragement out of doing that and celebrating them than I'd have done if it was for me. If it was for me, it'd have been, man, that was cool. Thank you. I enjoyed it. It was good food. Awesome. And I'd have gone on with my day. But being able to do it for somebody else, it does something in you when you celebrate somebody else. I want to do something. I know this is different. If you got a cell phone with you today, grab your cell phone. You got permission to take your cell phone out during church. It may never happen again. Enjoy it while you can. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to take 60 seconds, and we're going to share some celebration. There's somebody in your life who needs some encouragement. And the greatest way for me to encourage you is to help you to encourage somebody else. So I want you to think for five seconds. This is the first name that pops in your head. It might be a family member. Here, let me say this. Not somebody in this room. Don't text the person next to you like, they're, hopefully they're getting some encouragement already. We're going to encourage somebody that's not in this room. A friend, a family member, somebody who's going through something. You're going to send 60 seconds. You're going to send them a text message. Just say, hey, God put you on my heart. I just want you to know I love you. Hey, I want you to know I'm proud of you. I'm impressed by what you're doing in this area. If you don't have a phone with you, you can just pray for somebody or something while we spend some time. We're all going to do this. I'm doing this myself right up here, texting somebody. Why? Because there's power when we share encouragement. Texting my friend Jared. He interned with me in Oklahoma. and uh, He just had his, his wedding anniversary. He's been married, I think, five years now. Um, He's got a daughter, and he's a great dad, a great mom. He's a great success in, in his industry, and I'm, I'm just proud of him. Serve in a ministry. We got somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't know, 80 people in this auditorium today. Maybe a little less, somewhere in there. We got 80 people who are going to get just a little, little moment of encouragement. What if we each embraced every day like that? What if every day we found somebody to celebrate? Because here's the truth. Satan wants to discourage you. There's an enemy who's going to try to discourage you. He's going to come at you. He's going to tell you all the things wrong with you, all the things wrong with the world, all the things wrong with your boss, all the things wrong with your neighborhood. He's going to give you all this stuff, and he's going to try to stack discouragement on top of you. And when that discouragement comes, you've got an opportunity. Are you going to get swallowed up in that discouragement, or are you going to turn that stack into a stage and stage a celebration for God to be glorified? I'm going to stand up on this thing. Yeah, I don't understand why I'm dealing with this sickness, but I know God's going to get some glory in it somehow. I don't understand why I lost my job, but I know God's up to something. He hasn't forgotten about me. He's working together for my good. He's going to get some glory in it somehow. Yeah, I don't know why I'm going through this right now, but I'm not going to let Satan discourage me. I'm going to stand up on top of this discouragement, and I'm going to celebrate Jesus. And if we begin to stage our celebrations, if we begin to share our celebration, if we begin to look for somebody to encourage on a regular basis, guess what's going to happen for you? You're going to be more encouraged than you've ever been in your life. Didn't it feel good sending that text message? Not just because you got to send a text message in church, hopefully. But didn't it feel good? Just, hey, man, I took 30 seconds, and I got a chance to say something positive to somebody, to build somebody up. They're going to be surprised. Maybe it's a family member. They're going to be like, I thought you were at church this morning. What's wrong with you? And then you get to tell them, my pastor told me to text during church. And then they're going to tell you you need to find another church. Don't take that discouragement. Build on top of that discouragement. 
and build a stage to glorify Jesus. Amen? Amen. Here's what I want to do. If you would, just stand to your feet. If you're comfortable, I'm just going to encourage you just to close your eyes, lift your hand. I just want you to, to repeat after me. We're going to declare that we're going to stage some celebration, that we're going to honor what God's doing in our life and believe him as we celebrate what he's doing now. He's going to do bigger things in the future. Just repeat after me. Say,